I still am amazed at the ineptitude about how to leave the airplane. Like people just can't get off the airplane. I don't understand what's happening. So it's like, you know, I'm trying to wait for the lady to get, you know, in like, it takes her like four. First, she tries to stand up. She's still buckled in her seat. You know, and then it takes like three. She can't get undone. You know, and of course, I look like the, the guy that's just like, like, what's this guy doing? Like, why, what's taking him so long? Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, healthcare systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and have fun along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Reed Smith and Chris Boyer. Welcome back to episode number 108 of Touchpoint. I am Reed Smith. That over there is Chris Boyer. How's it going? Pretty good, Reed. Digging out from all the snow that we've been having. You probably heard this, but February has been the snowiest month in Minnesota's history. Wow. Not so much in Texas. I was outside doing some work yesterday, pouring concrete, mown grass. Yeah. Which is why my allergies, so I'm, I may sound a little stopped up, you know. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. For those that have are maybe new listeners, uh, touchpoint.health is the website. We've got a lot of great shows out there hosted by other really smart individuals talking to um, some of the industry leaders. So go check that out. Check out Data Point, Intersection, the Exam Room, all kinds of good shows. Also, make sure you rate, review, subscribe. That is still the number one way that we can ensure other people out there find out about us. And so that means a lot. Go to iTunes or wherever you're listening and uh, leave us a little review. Yeah, and make sure you give us a four or five star rating, right? Yep, or I'll lose my job. <laughs> if we don't get all tens, uh, I'll get fired. So you know what they do like at the car dealership. Exactly. We'll be talking more about online reviews in a second. But, you know, one of the things when you're out there on our website, we couldn't have gotten here without all of you as listeners. We really appreciate you, everybody listening in. And we couldn't have also gotten here without our sponsors. Isn't that right, Reed? That's right. And for most consumers out there in the healthcare space, the search for a healthcare provider is a frustrating maze of bewildering choices and unanswered questions. They want to hear what other patients have to say in order to make a decision with confidence. With Loyal's Empower Solution, you have the tools to do just that. Empower the patient and provide a solution. Maximize star ratings while introducing deeper insights into what patients are really saying about their experience. Sort, approve, and publish patient reviews of physician services and practices using some of the intelligent features like auto-approval and syntax highlighting. So please go check them out online at loyalhealth.com. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about what they're doing with Empower or any of their other solutions, you can uh, reach out to them there at loyalhealth.com slash demo, and they can uh, get you set up and show you what they do. Absolutely. Since they uh, have this solution around star ratings, I think it was very appropriate for the topic of today's show. And so, Reed, you and I have talked about online reviews a number of times before in different ways. I think it's understood that the power of online reviews is critical for the patient journey and when they're making decisions. But in today's episode, I thought it might be interesting for us to analyze the online review itself. I mean, really break down the elements that are needed for an online review, the different structures of online reviews, and and other ways that hospitals and health systems should look at online reviews when they're considering them as part of their online reputation strategy. We're probably not going to get as much into the re- how to respond and, and maybe even how to monitor for and some of those types of things. I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on some of those things, but really this is kind of the anatomy of a review what it looks like, where is it, and all that kind of good stuff. An article I found from Yale Insights. Uh, Yale Insights is related to, obviously, the Yale School of Management. They wrote an article called What Makes a Good Online Review. Maybe we could start today talking a little bit about that. So five stars. That's what makes a good one. (laughs) That's right. Five stars that keeps our job, right? It makes sure that our job is kept. But it's a little bit more than that. This the premise of this article actually is around Google when they purchased 
Zagat survey in 2011. This article kind of goes into the reasons why they considered Zagat as the, the right solution to integrate in their Google Maps. One of the things that they, they first start off the article with, and I thought it was interesting, they say that most of Google's products depend on scale. Sophisticated algorithms looking for patterns and massive amounts of data. So when you think of like Gmail, and you think of Google AdWords, and you think of Google itself, right? It's looking at copious amounts of data and using that data to do analysis and actually providing algorithms and ways to better empower their products around that data. They want to bring in additional credible credible sources that allow for certain decision points, I guess, and features. So when you look at Google Maps, why are you going to use Google Maps over some other, you know, Apple Maps or Waze or, you know, whatever it is, although some of that stuff's obviously consolidating, you know, you need to have additional uh, pieces of data in there, things people, you know, find interesting or useful. Um, And this is obviously one of those elements, which is uh, what others think. One of the sites that they that Google actually originally kind of looked at, at least it was rumored that they did, were going to look at, is Yelp. Because Yelp is the same way with online reviews, right? Lots of data, uh, authority on a large number of reviews to kind of ensure that they're getting that kind of a big amount of data to sort of normalize all the reviews that are out there. But they decided to go with Zagat for a whole different reason. Zagat actually has a completely different philosophy on, around online reviews, and that's around the fact that knowledgeable reviewers provide better data than a polling of everyone that can have an opinion, anonymous or not. Hmm. That is an interesting concept. Let that sink in for a second. So we only want to hear from people that actually know what they're talking about. Right. Well, how do you do that? Maybe it's not quite that because we know Google reviews isn't quite everybody that knows what they're talking about. But the one thing that it really is, is a difference between sort of an open platform where people can anonymously review you and a closed platform, a platform where you have to have some kind of credentials to start to write reviews. And that's really the, the context around what Google reviews is today, right? You have to have a Google ID or a Google name and associate that with that review. Yeah, and I think that's somewhat helpful. I mean, they're still somewhat anonymous. You know, I mean, we, we monitor, you know, a fair amount of hospitals, you know, online reviews and social and all that kind of good stuff. And it's still hard in a lot of cases to try to get, like, based on a review for somebody to be able to identify them within the system. They don't put their actual name. In many cases, the Google user ID is not their name. Uh, it's helpful when it is, but in many cases, that you can't use that as a way to track back. But the one thing you can do is click on that user's name to find out all the different other things that they do. And they even call those people a local guide if for people that review more frequently. And that's sort of like a different way that they're actually credentials if you start to do more reviews that Google gives you perks for your review. Wow, that's a lot of time and effort, it seems like. <laughs> I think the intention behind that is kind of goes back to the fact that with the Zagat solution that they're, they're incorporated in Google Maps, it's really built around the fact that the more you review, the more authoritative you become. Yeah, it makes sense. And, and Yelp does that a little bit. If you've written one review and you don't have a profile image and those types of things, they're probably going to pull your review down or hide it. Or I don't remember what they call it. It's not recommended or something like that. It's not like a different page. The problem with that is that the reviewer thinks the hospital's deleting their review. Mm. And so they end up reviewing the fact that you removed their review. It's a bad cycle to get into. But it's interesting, though, to have kind of that authoritative voice. And we do that in life anyway, right? I mean, you want to hear from the authoritative expert. When I go to Amazon, right, I also look at not only what the, the, the review, if the review is actually a very good quality review, I sometimes click on that user's name to see what other products they've reviewed to get a good sense of who they are. If they're more like me, then their review holds more worth to me. Another thing they kind of point out in here, and I think for those that aren't terribly familiar with Zagat, the Zagat guide, it's not a five-point scale. 30 points, which is interesting. I had to end at 30, but anyway. But it's a 30-point scale. Obviously, 30 is perfect. Actually, uh, no restaurant has a perfect 30, I believe is what it said in there. Right. Even Tim Zagat said, 
that if you look at any five-point scale, you'll find that almost everything tends to be either three and a half to four and a half stars. And he doesn't believe that that actually helps people make decisions. So one of the things that Zagat did is created this more nuanced rating system. Well, I think what it does is it gives a bigger span for comparison. Like Yelp is on, on the half point increment, two and a half, three, three and a half, four, you know, that kind of thing. As far as when you're looking at the stars on the page, you know, they, they only show them in the half star increments. Is there really a lot of difference between like a uh, four and a half and a four? What is that based on? If I look in like one's a 22 and one's a 16, now I get a better contextual understanding of what that actually looks like. And that's why Google reviews have now like a 2.2 or a 2.4 or a 2.8, right? They're giving that nuance. I mean, even though it is a five-star rating, what they're doing is they're aggregating the data and actually giving you something that's that's not rounded up to the nearest half star. Zagat also has the ability to kind of drill into different aspects of the experience. It's 30 points across different categories. And while Google doesn't offer that right now in, the, in their Google reviews, I find that if you review like on Expedia, they give a rating for the travel, they give a rating for the hotel, they give a rating for the service at the restaurant, that sort of thing. Those sorts of things where you start to nuance the ratings becomes a little bit more helpful for me as a user. And then lastly, it's like this whole concept of many reviews versus limited reviews. Google is such a big platform now that many people are using it, but still not a high number of people are actually actively reviewing different places. So I think that Google is bringing forward the fact that even though there are a lot of reviews on Google reviews, they're still limiting it to people that want to actually review. The open versus closed or you know, many versus limited reviews is, is kind of an interesting one because even like on Amazon, the, the total number of reviews a product has received is one data point that I look at. The score is also one. Obviously, if somebody's got you know four out of five and there's only been eight reviews written, and then somebody has four out of five and there's 1,100 reviews written, that's very different in my mind. All of those things give you different nuanced approaches to seeing how people are reacting to that product or that service. When we flash over and start to think about reviews in the hospital and health system space, there are a couple of things we think about around reputation management that really becomes important for us to take into consideration as we're developing our online reputation strategy. I found another article that refers to the ultimate guide to online reviews, but they indicate some of these important aspects include the number of listings that you have across your organization. Now, working in a complex health system, that would include not only your hospitals, but all your ambulatory locations, your primary care clinics, your pharmacies, you know, the number of those listings. You want to make sure that the listing information is consistent and accurate. Having all the right information has the right naming, etc. What are some of the other elements? The overall sentiment of the reviews, uh, obviously, is, is important. I mean, that's why we're there in the first place, at least to some degree. And frequency or current velocity of new reviews, right? If you go to a location that maybe hasn't had a review since 2014, maybe you don't consider that as being valid or not. Because I don't, you know, I don't know what's happened since then or what they're doing or if those doctors are still there. Uh, one that I mentioned earlier, uh, just the overall volume of reviews. So, I mean, how many are they getting? That's another one. That's why you see a lot of these hospitals looking at transparency initiatives of, of actually publishing HCAP scores on physician profiles on the website, right? Because there's a lot more volume there. The N is much higher than if you compare to hospital-based rating sites like HealthGrades, Vitals, things like that. But even past that to just Google, Yelp, Facebook, you know, that kind of thing. One thing more that I think is a critical part of that online footprint is your activity and your engagement with those reviews how frequently you're responding to those reviews, both both positive and, and negative, that amount that you're engaged with those online reviews 
All of those things are kind of important aspects of, of your online reputation management. I actually found a couple of stats. Binary Fountain um, has a, a consumer insight survey ebook that they've published. And there's a couple of stats in there that were just kind of interesting. And you know, one of uh, was 51% of Americans said that they shared their personal health experiences via social media and online writing interview sites. But here's what's interesting if we think about like as time progresses, right? 70% of millennials, which are aged 18 to 34, report they've shared experiences about a physician or a hospital online. Those are the folks that are going to be making the choices, you know, in the coming years. 95% of the survey respondents told them that they found online rating interviews somewhat to very reliable. Just perception there for a second. I mean, think about that. 95% think that what they're reading is true. I didn't mean that it is, but that's what they think. And then 70% of Americans say that online ratings and review sites have influenced their decision when selecting a physician. This is a critical part of the online patient journey. Hey, we want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, and that's our good friends at Binary Fountain. You know, as a healthcare marketer, it's probably pretty obvious these days how much time you're spending uh, on reviews, ratings relative to hospitals, physicians, all that kind of good stuff. You know, too many of those are going unanswered and they're certainly not being analyzed. This could be costing us new and current customers. It could be impacting our patient experience scores and potentially impacting our revenue. Luckily, our good friends at Binary Fountain have an online reputation management platform called Binary Health Analytics. If you'd like to learn more or even schedule a demo, visit them online at binaryfountain.com. That's binaryfountain.com. Let's talk about some other elements that might be important to consider. The other architectural elements of the review that might be also informative. I want to refer back to a study that you recently did. Actually, it's probably an ongoing study, right? You're talking about some of the... um study that I've done relative to basically the three main consumer rating sites and as it relates to hospitals, so Facebook, Google, Yelp. Uh, Over about a six-month period of time, I studied uh, eight states, which accounted for about 1,100 hospitals or 1,100 individual addresses, I guess, is maybe the best way to say that. There were some interesting things in there. Now, we only looked at the three primary sites. But just to kind of give a little bit of a frame of reference of just numbers, you know, we're talking about 1,100 hospitals or actually 1,061 hospitals to be precise. 920 of those had a Facebook page, but only 554 of those, so 60% actually had reviews activated on the Facebook page. People still may or may not even allow for the reviews. You talk about the selective nature of some of this. some, Some folks just turn the channel off altogether. Of the ones that had it turned on, that still accounted for just shy of 200,000 Facebook reviews. So an average of uh, 187 per hospital, the average score being 4.17. You look at that and you think contextually, oh, we're four out of five. That must be pretty good. Well, actually, that's below the median. Math right there. (laughs) That's crazy to think about, right? It is below the median. If you think about Google, um, we looked at just shy of 54,000 Google reviews, which turned out to be around 50, 51 per hospital listing uh, at an average score of uh, just barely over three, 3.04. So again, very different. And then finally, Yelp, 9,228 reviews, uh, which averaged out to be about just shy of, of nine, 8.7 uh, reviews per hospital. Uh, with a score of 2.81. So you can see that they trend down pretty quickly, right? Like Facebook's pretty high, 4.17. These are all five-point scales. But you got to figure you have a fan base there. You have your followers, the people that are engaged with your brand that are are more than likely following you. Mm -hmm. I always attributed that to maybe people on Facebook are in in a better mood when they're reviewing you. That affinity to your brand is probably a big factor behind that high star rating. Ultimately, people do use Google on a pretty regular basis, right? Google Maps and search results, certainly. And so you can see how reviews would happen there. That's a logical top of mind source. Facebook, they're already there. Reviews are being put where they already where they're already participating. I mean, Yelp, you have to really want to go write a review. 
And I mean, so it's going to, it's going to skew low because I mean, why else would you be motivated to do it? The only time I've ever written a review on Yelp, I remember it was on my mobile phone and I was having the worst experience in the world because of it. <laughs> yeah. Cause I just didn't want to type out yeah. a long review. What's funny is, you know, I mentioned that, that in Yelp, it was, we saw an average of, of almost nine, 8.7 reviews per hospital listing. That's a little misleading though. Cause if you look at the eight States that we studied, the lowest was Mississippi, which was aver- averaging less than one Yelp review per hospital, 0.74, 71 Yelp reviews for the entire state of Mississippi. If you're in Mississippi and you ask me, should we be concerned with Yelp? No, you shouldn't. I mean, you should go claim the listing and make sure the information is correct. But like, look, don't just don't kill yourself with some sort of a Yelp strategy. And I thought Texas was high. You know, Texas is is 9.19 per hospital, really concentrated in the Austin area. If you broke it down geographically, all the Yelp writing is happening in Austin. But for whatever reason, Florida is averaging 20.59. I don't know what it is in Florida, but everybody in Florida is writing Yelp reviews. I don't, I don't know what that's about, but I mean, just like a crazy amount of reviews. Here in Minnesota, I, I swear, I know you haven't done the research and you probably should. I think we're closer to Mississippi in terms of Yelp reviews. I, I see no one using Yelp. If you look at Florida, I mean, you know, they're, they're leading the charge as far as Yelp goes. And, and quite honestly, they're right up there, if not the highest, uh, also in Facebook per hospital and Google. Oh, I don't know what it is in Florida, but everybody likes to write a review, no matter what platform. I wonder if there's a regionalness to that. What should I be concerned with? What should I be looking at? Well, you need to go look at what's happening. Claim all your listings, get them cleaned up, and then understand, here are my scores, and then look at your competitors and look at the market and look at your region and the state. Or you know, if you're a children's hospital, look at all the other children's hospitals in the country or a cancer center or whatever it may be and, and figure out where you stand. Well, so now what you've done is you pivoted from, and it's a great transition, Reed. You pivoted from not only just the channel, but now you also want to look at channel and the type of organization that you are. Mm-hmm. Because what I found in, in here in looking at our Google and Facebook is what we primarily focus on is that depending on the location and depending on whether it's a location or an individual physician, the type of review is dramatically different. Our primary care, our urgent care centers, those types of reviews tend to be much more focused on particular types of topics around access, convenience, and the reviews tend to skew a little bit higher or lower depending on the, the region that you're at. Whereas if you look at a hospital, a hospital review is much more complex and a lot of times that talks about the overall experience, usually around how difficult it is to find parking, how hard it is to navigate through the hospital system. It becomes pretty obvious pretty fast that if you don't have an ER, your score is really high. So if you're a heart hospital or maybe a cancer center, even children's hospitals, even though they do have ERs, uh, at least I think they all do, probably all of them do. That specialty type hospital, uh, a women's hospital, uh, an orthopedic hospital, cancer center, etc. Scores are way higher. So, so don't just sit back and think like we're doing really great. Go look at others like you, right? If you're a heart hospital, look at all. Look at other heart hospitals similar to you. You know who they are. That's important. Is it's just kind of contextual nature of what it is. Uh, because I think you know hospitals in general struggle with some of the same things from a review standpoint, topically speaking, uh, wait time, and even they may not say wait time is voiced in other ways. I never saw the doctor; I only saw the doctor once. He didn't spend any time with us. He was rude. You know, whatever, whatever the scenario is, that really all kind of harkens back to this idea that it's really crowded. And they're running 100 miles an hour. It could sound like I had to wait in the hallway for three hours or what, whatever. You know, another thing I've, I've had organizations do is trend the number of reviews just over time. And then lay over top of that census. And what we've seen a couple of different times is the, you know, it's all, it's all peaks and valleys. And the peak uh, follows the census peak. Everything's on the heels of like high census. 
hmm, you know, then it got to be almost predictable. And so it's like, look, you know, since this is high, we're going to have reviews start trickling in. And we started realizing it because it just seemed like everything was in waves. Uh, we're also partnering with the university. And of course, the physicians are very focused on what their reviews say. But I tend to find that physician reviews tend to be very much different than a hospital. Anytime you're reviewing a brand versus a person, it changes the nature uh, or the inflection or the focus uh, of what it is that they're talking about. People don't have trouble bashing companies or brands. It's not quite as clean uh, when you're bashing people. Now, now, physicians have become brands to some degree, but I see less negative reviews for physicians than I do the, the bigger brand, the hospital. And quite honestly, you got to take some of that stuff into account when, when you're looking at reviews. If you're looking at a surgeon's profile and there's a lot of things on there about he's arrogant, well, I don't really care if he's arrogant. Like, what was the outcome? Right. right. I'm fine with him being arrogant. I don't have to work with the guy. You know, I just I just need him to fix my knee. Uh, I want him to know what he's doing and feel like he knows what he's doing. So the way people write reviews and the way people consume reviews is, is very unique or individualized in, in most cases. Again, as you're starting to d- delve into your strategy around online reputation management, Depending on what you're doing, what is part of that strategy, it's a different focus for you, right? It's like if you're benchmarking your doctor against other doctors in the profession, that's a whole different benchmarking than looking at how well your doctor fares compared to the local hospital or health system. So let me ask you this. Do you think five-star reviews are helpful? Well, we talked about that before. Those five stars is just very limited. I find... That even like like what Google's done, where they're like 2.2, average 2.2 or whatever it might be, I don't know the difference between a 2 and a 3 or a 3 and a 4. I think I know what a 5 is and I know what a 1 is. I don't know what happens between 2 and 4. Because everything I see, especially when you look at hospitals, is like all 1s and 5s. Everything was wonderful or everything was terrible. There's just not a lot of in-between. Yeah, no, I'm not saying you don't see them because you, you do. But you don't get a lot of the like, my experience was great, yeah, but the food was terrible. I don't see a lot of mixed reviews. And that's why comments become so important to online reviews. It's like you have to get context. Why are you getting a one or a two-star rating? More than likely, it's really not about the care that's being delivered. It's about something else. It's about, uh, I don't know, I was sitting in the lobby and it smelled like vomit or, you know, or whatever it may be. <laughs> That's why they have bad reviews. It isn't really about the necessarily the care. Or I, I saw one that said I was walking to the clinic office and a group of birds swooped out of the tree and almost attacked me. And they we got a two-star <laughs> review for that. What are you going to do? But the point is here is that the comments become very important to how we we start to understand and contextualize that. And that's why a lot of organizations that focus on online reputation management, they surface those comments. And moreover, they surface ways to analyze those comments to develop trends and understand more about what's being said. So I just found this brief where they did a study about the words that are used that are used in online negative hospital reviews. And what do you think the number one word is, Reed? For negative? Yep. Billing. No, I don't <laughs> I'm not sure. The word is told. T-O-L-D. That's the single word that's most often associated with negative online hospital reviews. While great and friendly are the most frequently used words in positive reviews. This comes out of the same study we referenced a little while ago, and we'll link to it from uh, from Binary Fountain. You know, it's funny. It says you know, other words frequently seen in bad online reviews include worst, hours, rude, sad, <laughs> no, not. I wonder if hours is hours of operations or like hour, like how many hours they've been waiting. It's probably hours they've been waiting, I would assume. Let's look by contrast, though. What are some of the best words for positive reviews? Great friendly, staff, and very. Those are some good words. 
It's a good ebook to download and, and check out. We'll link to it in our show notes for sure. When we start to publish more and more of these online reviews on our websites, I w- I'm starting to think about like what would be some of the features that would make these online reviews even much more compelling, more informative for the user. So one of the things I thought about is I would love to have a way to aggregate all the reviews about that location across all sites, have it all in one place. You get your press gaming, you get your Google, you get your Facebook, you get it all. Like you can see the whole swath of things. I think just even, you know, comparison within. So like if you went to a physician's profile on Google, it would say like, you know, other physicians at this practice, you know, like have like other people's reviews and who they are and that kind of thing. Like kind of a consumer reports and you put your doctors and build a grid. Yeah, because it's like, you know, is this guy outstanding and the rest of the place is terrible? Are they all about this good? Is he actually the worst guy at this practice? Or even just, you know, if it's an orthopedic surgeon, for example, you know, having some having some contextual knowledge of like the overall orthopedic surgeon average is this. This guy's four out of five. The average is four and a half out of five. Like the average for your marketplace, that would be really interesting. And then, you know, clearly what you're getting into, if you're really going for online consumerism, is comparing your product against your competitor's product. Now, that would be something, wouldn't it? We could do it right now on many review sites, even Amazon, right? It shows you one product and it shows the competitive brand right next to that. So wouldn't that be interesting to have as like part of your physician review or even your your urgent care research? You know, pulling in the levels of pricing transparency obviously would be would be something kind of cool because obviously price weighs in to all of this. I mean, it's just you know, it's just like if you're looking at cars, you know, you'd be like, man, this was really cool. Well, yeah, it's you know four times the price of everything else. So having some level of pricing transparency, I think, would always be uh, something to strive towards. Do you think we'll ever get to a point where just like we can do on Carfax, where we can put in this is a criteria and it would just pull up everything, you know, like where we can have like a, a complete breakdown of the cars compared to each other to every other car. But we do that in a hospital setting or is that too much research for us? No, I, mean, I think that stuff happens. I think it'll happen. I mean, it'll have to be consumer driven to some degree. People are going to have to want to know all that stuff, but yeah, it'll happen. These are some of the things that we're thinking about might be good re- good for an online review. I'm wondering if any of our listeners might have ideas about what other things might be good. You know, let us know. Hit us up on LinkedIn or Twitter and and put in some ideas because inevitably there's someone out there listening to us that's probably building this this super widget that we're we're talking about. It always happens. Every time I have a good idea, I'm like, you know what, somebody should make, and then I go to Amazon. There's like 14 of them. Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast, I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, You know, they've got a consumer experience platform that that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. Well, there you go. I, you know, I would, I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else, they've also got some complimentary solutions on their website, but, but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems, kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to influencehealth.com. All right, Christy Daniels, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us today. Great to be here, Reed. Christy Daniels, for those that don't know, is a partner over at Press Ganey. It uh, actually heads up or is the leader of their transparency, consumerism, and medical practice solutions. For those that aren't familiar with your background, you know what is it that brought you to Press Ganey? And- for uh, about 20 plus years, I 
uh, led efforts at University of Utah to um, increase the trust between patients and their doctors. And we did that through a lot of work, work on all aspects of our system. But much of where we identified there were barriers were identified through Trust Ganey, which at that time was a measurement company who helped mm-hmm. measure the patient's experience in healthcare. During that 20 years, Trust Ganey evolved and has uh, expanded well beyond their measuring pioneering roots to include some very deep analytics. Uh, they now not only measure the patient's experience of care, they measure safety, quality, employee and physician engagement, and now they're really in the improvement business. And that's what attracted me to join them. It has been a thrill to spend my career at the University of Utah, where 10,000 plus employees and 1,000 plus doctors joined together to become national leaders in area of patient experience. And there was an opportunity to bring those lessons learned and spread them around the country. A lot of folks probably know you and know your work at, at the University of Utah, and, and you, you mentioned a little bit of that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, everything from being an analyst to director of you know customer service to patient experience. Over that 20 years, I, I'm assuming early on, what, was it talked about as transparency? What, was that no. around? No, that, that, that was that was the coined by people outside our organization. Um, you know, one day I walked into a outpatient medical director meeting and a physician who I'd worked with for years, a physician who was passionate about taking care of her patients, told me, hey, Chrissy, there's this review on, on vitals.com and it is completely untrue and really cruel and we need to do something about it. And I immediately went out and did some research and and saw these, you know, the few but really amazingly cruel comments. And I said, we'll try to address that one. But but the reality is there's three comments on these third-party sites, and I have 150 comments from your grateful patients that are coming from patient experience surveys. So I thought the way to fight a fire is with a fire hose. We had a lot more content. It was a lot more balanced. It was much richer. And with the partnership of my chief medical officer, Tom Miller, he and I put together a pilot where we lined up all our patient experience data with all the ratings for our faculty on third-party sites and with their support and trepidation, let's be honest, we became the first system in America to post patient experience comments on the internet. That was back in 2012. And since then, hundreds of organizations have followed in our footsteps. Yeah, and there's obviously the, the technology side of that equation, but I think one thing that you mentioned right there is pretty interesting is that the trepidation from the provider side. How do you navigate that? I know a lot of people deal with that now and there's there's trepidation around doing anything new especially in the transparency space but you know what 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 did you guys learn from kind of walking through that the trepidation you can't work around it you must work through it i think what some people you know this is such a a novel solution and it makes so much sense when one works in in digital content that it seems to just be really straightforward. But what we need to remember is that this is completely dearly held information for doctors. I I tell people that doctors having patient reviews online is for many of us would be the equivalent of having parental reviews online. It'd be like if someone was reviewing my capability as a parent on the internet. It's really personal. It needs to be tackled in a very personal way. The good news is is that in the six years since University of Utah has gone live, you know, dozens and dozens of organizations have gone live, and there's never been an organization where this wasn't um, emotional. So if you don't want to talk about emotion, then this is not the job for you. But just because it's emotional doesn't mean it can't be really beneficial. People who are pioneering this work in their organizations um, need to embrace that 
doctors care what patients say about them, and that this really is a a means to more effectively communicate to patients what it's going to be like to be in the care of this doctor. And and what we've learned in the past six years is that patients don't expect their doctors to be perfect, although doctors expect themselves to be perfect. They just want to know, what's it really going to be like? How should I prepare? Is this the right fit for me? What we found over and over again, because, you know, we carefully watched the practices of, of all of our doctors, is that having negative patient comments on a site didn't necessarily dissuade patients from coming to the doctor. They did prepare them. I know that there are studies, and, and I, I'm not, you know, an expert on how they were designed, but I will tell you that we saw that our lower-rated doctors had as many new patients as our higher-rated doctors. Huh. And, in fact, patients would actually write that they had read the comments so there became this meta-analysis where patients would would go to a doctor who perhaps had some critical feedback, and then they would argue with the critical feedback on their patient experience. <laughs> they would say, like, I read all the comments, and I still scheduled with this doctor, and I would tell you, don't be hesitant to schedule with this doctor. So really, there became this back and forth. And, and what we discovered over time is we really analyzed the, the way uh, consumers engage with that content that, that they're really looking at three things. They want the comments. So putting up ratings without comments is not going to influence behavior at all. They want the comments. And, and we know because of the search engine analytics that patients were spending between um, four and six minutes on page on average, which is a very long time. They're consuming all of the content on the page they search out the negative review and they do that to, to manage their risk. They want to understand what is the worst experience that any patient has had in this care situation. After they identify the worst case scenario, they begin to discount it and they will look for confirming information. So if there's a worst case scenario comment and there's no theme found in the rest of the comments, they're, they're very savvy that, you know, we're, we're very sophisticated consumers of digital content right now. So they will discount it if there's not a pattern. And even if they find the pattern, though, Ree, they will look very carefully through confirming details to see if in the pattern of feedback, can they find any confirming qualities of their viewers that the people who wrote this are anything like me? Are they people who share my values? And if they don't think that's true, they'll discount it as well, but they want the information. And I've never thought about it that way, but that's how I approach things I buy on Amazon. I still look at that negative comment and I go, oh, well, sure, that's not the way that's meant to be used. And so I'll discount the negative review or, or, that, one's really, or that one's really old. That's not, that's not talking about this current version of this product or piece of software, yeah. like if you're looking at iTunes or something. And so yeah. that is funny because you do want to see, and we've always said or I've always thought it to be true, that if, if it was just all five stars, it looks like you're censoring something. It doesn't look real. And, and I right. think people understand that, they're dealing with people and, you know, this is going to be a little bit of a give and take and it's real and people make mistakes or whatever the scenario is. I think the idea of it being, you know, 4.8 is actually probably better than 5.0. Even a, a lower performing doctor with, you know, a consistent theme, perhaps they're very matter of fact. And some mm -hmm. patients find that uncaring, but other patients say, you know, the, you know, in this case, I'm thinking of a surgeon. They said surgery was great, it was, all went smooth. And then there are people who say, you know, this physician was was not as empathetic as I wanted, perhaps didn't talk to me as holistically about the care as I wanted. Well, there are plenty of people in America who are looking for an incredibly capable surgeon, and they're willing to forgo some of these other qualities. And what happens is, this is not a ratings game. It almost becomes, I say it's not a ratings game. It's a compatibility test. 
Oh, wow. Okay. Patients find the doctor that fits them. And there's a lot of reasons, and I think you can think of them and I can think of them, where I might choose very willingly to see a physician who perhaps didn't have the warmest bedside manner. And it can be things like access. It can be things like specialty skills. It can be things just like convenient location. Not everyone places a premium on emotional engagement, but there are plenty who do. And if they're all going to the other doctor, then I can see this one who I see as capable and competent. And what my hope is, is that doctors, they really pressured themselves to be everything to everyone. What I would say to physicians is, you be the best you you can be. You don't have to be everything. Do what you do extremely well, and then be transparent and let the patients who want you find you. It becomes a much easier situation. But that's that's only after trust is earned. And I will say that, you know, I've advised maybe not every organization in the country who's gone transparent, but a good portion of them. And I say um, all of us know the Internet can be cruel. We can be completely honest with our patients, but we don't have to embrace the episodic cruelty that we see happen in all the channels that we um, engage with on the Internet. This is a way to reduce the 0.01% of respondents who may say things that really do cross the cross the boundaries. Chrissy, thanks for your time. Thanks for coming on and spending a few minutes with us, and I uh, look forward to having you back on in the future. It was great to be here. All right, and special thanks to Chrissy Daniels for coming on and uh, to hear the entire interview. Be on the lookout. We'll be uh, obviously pushing it out all on all our social channels, but the newest episode of That's What They Said, which is coming out shortly, will have that full discussion. So great stuff there. Had a great time at the THA conference this past week. Coincidentally, did a presentation on reputation management. So uh, I know this this topic is top of mind, so today's show I think was uh, was something kind of interesting and stuff people uh, continue to look for, look to, and and figure out what they should do with going forward. What's coming up next with you, Reed? Now that you did the THA show, yeah, South by Southwest is next here in a few weeks. Uh, I guess about that. What would that be? Maybe the second week of March, I believe. If you're not signed up for the uh, TPS report, our weekly email, you can go to our website and do that. And it has dates uh, on you know anything that we're, we'll be at live and attending, along with some great links to some content from around the web. But yeah, that's about the second week, I guess, of March. Uh, and then we'll be uh, not too terribly far off from um, our big conference in May, right? That's right. The Forum for Healthcare Strategists, or the Healthcare Marketing Physician Strategy Summit in Chicago. You and I will be there. We'll be recording podcasts there for sure. In addition, I will be speaking along with a person that was actually a guest on the show a number of episodes ago, Ann Goldman, who will be we will be talking about the role of a digital strategist in a hospital system. So make sure to sign up for that conference and come seeing not only not only Reed and I uh, record a live episode of our show, but also maybe come drop in the audience when I present. And be sure to stop by all the booths. Our sponsors will all be there and uh, show them a little bit of love as well. Um, okay, so before we get out of here, uh, what do you have recommendation for this week? Well, Reed, this week I am... On the tail end, you might hear a little bit of it in my voice, of recovering from a cold. It was a really bad head cold, and it took me down, just as every cold does. It really takes you down for a number of days. You know, when you read about, like, all the different things you could take for a cold, of course, there's, like, you know, all the over-the-counter medications you could take and drinking lots of tea and doing this and that. I tell you, one thing this last week that really helped me out a lot that I'm going to recommend is a homeopathic supplement to help shorten the severity of of a cold. It's uh, by a company named Umka, U-M-C-K-A. And uh, there's this homeopathic thing that's uh, basically they call it a fast active. It's a little packet. It's like a little powder. It's like zinc and some vitamin C and some other things in there. 
And it just basically, you know, as you're suffering through a cold, anytime I, anytime I took this little powder that made me feel much better for like, you know, an hour or two, which sometimes when you're suffering from a cold, that's all you need is just get through the next hour or two until you can get better. So I recommend this one. Umka's Fast Active Cold and Flu Relief. There you go. That's, uh, that's useful, especially this time of year. I'm not a doctor either, so <laughs> I'm not sure if this is good. Maybe Dr. V will have a different opinion about me trying that. So, <laughs> Very cool. Uh, I'm going to actually recommend an app. I mean, the, the website also exists. I've predominantly just kind of used the app other than when I was pulling this up to kind of look at something. But it's an app called StockX, like S-T-O-C-K, and then X. So StockX.com is the website. But it is a marketplace to buy and sell authentic sneakers. So they also have some streetwear watches, handbags, things like that. But what's really pretty fascinating about this, it's just kind of interesting to look at. But you can go in here and look at these shoes, for example. I'm going to click on some here on the homepage. And they're Jordan, uh, like Jordan's, Jordan 1 Retro High UNC uh, patent leather ones. And so you can look at it. You can click on there and it tells you what the latest sell was, if it's gone up or down like the stock market. And it has actually a one-year, two-year, six-month uh, historical like chart of like what they've sold for and all this kind of stuff. It's really pretty fascinating. So it's it's like the stock market, but with shoes. So you don't even have to really be into shoes. It's just kind of interesting to go to this website and like scroll around and look at some of this stuff and, and figure out you know what some of this stuff's going for. It's just kind of interesting. Really interesting. I had no idea that there's this whole like exchange around shoes. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Stock X. Yep. And you can sell shoes on there. So if you have an old pair of Jordans laying around or something, you could put them on there. I think they kind of act like the brokerage house, if you will. And so they, I guess, hold the money in escrow and you send the shoe. And anyway, it's just kind of interesting. Well, very good. Another great episode. Uh, good chat about reputation management. I'm sure there'll be more to come because um, this is something that's not going away, obviously, and the complexity of it continues to change. And so we'll continue to talk more and more about it. Touchpoint.health is a website. Again, connect with us online. We'd love to hear from you if you got ideas for future shows. And uh, let us know what you think about what we're doing and, and what our other shows are doing. So for Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.